This morning we're going to finish up our series in the parables. Looking at a story of, as Jesus talks to them, about investments. About God's investment in us as believers. God's investment in the church. And asking a question. How is God's investment in you doing? How is God's investment looking? If you're like me, you've, you've kind of put away a little bit of money in the stock market, or you put it into a, an IRA or to a mutual fund, and you're hoping that if you start early enough in your life, that by the time you get ready to retire, you've built up enough of an nest egg that you, you can retire and not have to go back to work. You not have to worry about it. You're kind of secure to the end of life and you've got something to carry on to take care of your wife to the end of life if you're married maybe something maybe you can even pass on to your kids and you hope that's the case now if you invested and you're heavily invested back in 2007 2008 you may have panicked and go ah, the reception of everything tanked and people are by the stock market lost to have half of its value and those who panicked and pulled out quickly, you lost that money. Those who hung on and they let it just kind of ride, you didn't lose anything because you didn't sell out. You may not have got the gains you wanted, but you didn't sell out. See, God is investing in each of us. And God looks upon you and I as assets in, his, in a way. And he's looking for a return on investment. No company puts money into development without expecting a return. In your company that you work for, you are an asset of that company. They allow you, they employ you, they put money and time and effort into you, and you give back to that company and money and time and effort, and, and they expect to see a profit or expect to see a return out of your efforts there at that company. Same is true for God. He invested in you. He invested through His Son, through His Son's sacrifice on the cross. He invests in you every single day in pursuing you and in blessing you and in helping us to pursue His purposes in this world. We are an investment of God's in the very simplest terms. And God wants to see a return on our investment. We saw some of those as we've looked at the previous parables, we've seen some of that, how God is looking for that 30, 60, 100-fold return in our lives. And this morning, as we look at the parables of the minas and the talents, we're not going to read through both of them. They both have a very similar story. But I want you to understand that God, Jesus is using a figure here in talking to the people, something that's very clear, something they totally understand, they get. See, in, in historical context, Whenever a ruler, a potential ruler of Jerusalem, who's not Roman, is getting ready to go and become the governor of that area, for example, Herod or his son Archelaus, before they can become instilled and become the ruler or the governor of that region, they have to travel to Rome and present themselves before the emperor. And there the emperor looks at them and says, are you going to commit yourself to following my lead, to being my faithful servant and honoring my wishes in Jerusalem? 
and Herod in 40 BC had to say, yes, I will do that. I will serve Rome and I will bow down before the emperor and I am a faithful subject of Rome. Archelaus had to do that also in 4 BC. To go before the emperor and say, I will bow down and I will humble myself before you because you are more powerful than I am. You are the emperor of the world, the known world at that time. And I am but one little entity in this backwater country of Israel. But I'd like, really like to be your, your representative there, emperor. And so they had to humble themselves. But before they left, before they could go and do that, they had to turn over their business interests back in Jerusalem over to some trusted servants to manage it for them while they were gone. And then when they came back, maybe a year, maybe two years, depending on what, how long it took to finally get that stamp of approval from the Roman emperor, when they came back, those servants were expected to show what they'd done with the money that was left behind, what, was, what they had done with the profits, with the proceeds, with the business interests that had been left in their control. And so if they were a good servant, a good slave, they turned a profit. They may have doubled the money. They may have tripled the money. They may have quintupled the money. If they were a lazy, wicked servant, they just kind of squandered it and held it behind and they didn't do anything with it. They didn't get any return for it. And so it's in that picture, with that mindset in place, that Jesus is now sharing this parable with the people. We're going to look in Luke chapter 19 this morning and read through this real quick. As we read through... With that in mind, so the people totally understand the picture that Jesus is presenting before them. And follow along with me here in Luke chapter 19, verse 11 and following. It says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said that, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received a kingdom, he ordered the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came and said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. And then came another saying, Lord, here is your mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid, for you are a severe man, to take what you did not deposit and reap where you did not sow. And he said to him, I condemn you with your own words. You are a wicked servant. You knew I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping where I did not sow. And then he said to him, Why did you not at least put my money in the bank? And in my coming, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten. 
And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minus. I tell you that everyone who has will be given more. And to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. See, that exact picture is what happened to Herod and Archelaus. When they went to Rome to make their supplication before the Roman emperor, the Jews sent a delegation after them to also make an appeal before a Roman emperor. So we don't want them. We don't want the Herods. We don't want them ruling over us. And so then when they all get back to Jerusalem, Herod and his son, in their turn, his turn, decided to do away with those who opposed them. But the point here is that Jesus is showing the people that God is investing in us. See, for them, a mina was only was like three months' wage. And if you look back in Matthew, we're not going to turn there, but in Matthew, the story there is where God gave the talents to people. A talent is worth 60 minus or 15 years' worth of wages. And, and, and in the Matthew story, he gives to each servant according to their ability. The stories are very similar, but in some ways different. In Luke's story, they're given two to three months wages to go and then and invest and do something with. And one turned around and made back another ten. One made back another one. And one totally hid it away in a handkerchief. He didn't even put it in the bank. The, lead, the, the ruler says, if you had just even taken my money and put it in the bank, I would have at least gotten interest. In other words, if you would taken it and given it to the money changers or put it in the temple... I could have at least gotten interest off of it. But you chose to squander what I'd given to you. You chose to do nothing with what I gave to you. You hid it away. And it was taken away from him. Same with the story of the talents. You know, the one servant comes back and he, had, he reaped a huge reward. The second one came back and reaped a little reward. And the third one said, I hid your talent. I hid this talent of gold in the ground. Because I knew I didn't want to lose it. I was afraid of what would happen. And the, the ruler said, take his talent and give it to the one who I gave five to. So, a story for us. The question is not so much how much they've been given, but what did they do with what they had been given? What did they do with what they had been given? At your company, if you're given a position, you're given a responsibility, you're expected to produce. You're expected to do a good job. You're expected to be a good employee and to return back to that company more than what you were given. They're investing in you. These servants were given a certain amount of money, and they were expected by the ruler, by the master, to return back more than what they've been given. And yet those Wicked servants, the Bible says, hid it away under a rock. They hid it in a handkerchief, not even, they put it like under their mattress. They didn't even put it where it was safe. And it was taken from them. What did they do with what was given to them? He punishes that wicked servant. Look at the allegorical meaning in the stories. The master in this story is Jesus, who's gone and come back to earth again. 
He's left to gone away to a far country. And when he comes back, he's going to respect a return on his investment. The trusted servants are those who are professed believers, those who profess the name of Christ, those who profess they, they don't just come and do their good deeds, their good service, and say, I'm hoping that my works bounces out, my, my good works bounces out, my bad works. They're professed believers, engaged and involved. And the money that he invests is God's investment in us. Now, what did God invest in us? What has God invested in you? Think back now. Here I am, 48 years old, and for 41 years, God has invested in my life. How much time and effort and energy has God invested in your life? And what have you returned back? See, we're not expected to come and just sit. Nobody's expected just to come and sit and live our lives and enjoy this world, God expects us to return back some of that investment when he comes back. And what's he going to find? What is it that God is going to find? See, God rewards the reproduction of what he's invested, and those wicked servants were actually fake followers. And we've got a lot of news going on now about fake news. These were fake followers. These were fake sycophants. Oh, Master, we worship you. Master, we're, we're all good. We're, we're going to be your servant. We're going to trust you and honor you. And we'll take what you've entrusted with us and we're going to return back nothing. They're fake followers. Revelation chapter 3 talks about the church of Laodicea and those that God said, you are so lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth. You're useless to my kingdom because you've not gone out and done what you're supposed to do as my servants, as my followers. Like Judas, I mean, you don't think that Jesus knew Judas' character when he called him to be his disciple? He called all these other people, said, come and follow me, come and follow me, come and follow me. And he goes up to Judas, come and follow me, knowing his heart. Knowing that there was the investment in his life was not going to pan out. And yet he gave him a chance to come along. He gave him a chance to come alongside. And the Jew just lived up to his namesake. The other 11 did great things. Jesus invested in their lives for three years. He invested in them. They went out and changed the world. Three years he invested in their lives and they changed the world. 41 years. What have I done for him? How much have I returned back to the Lord in investment time? See, that's really the point, isn't it? Is that we are to, we have been called to reproduce ourselves in others. We have been called as God's children to reproduce ourselves to worship God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and bring on believers to make other disciples who will also worship God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and strength. Now, what does that mean to worship God? 
What does that mean? Does that mean just coming here on Sunday mornings? Does that mean just coming and singing pretty songs, just giving of our tithes and our offerings, just doing what's the bare minimum? Does it mean also we are to worship Him at work? Or do we to worship Him when we go up into the mountains? Are we to worship Him when we're driving down the road? Are we to worship Him when you're going to the supermarket? Are we to worship Him at family reunions? Yes, to all of that. We worship God in all that we do. It's not just on Sunday mornings. It's not just when you're in a Bible study. It's not just when you're in the community of believers. Every aspect of our life is to be lived out as an act of faithful worship to God. And we're to bring others along with us to make new disciples and teach them also to make every aspect of their lives an act of faithful worship to God. Whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're unemployed or employed, whether you're educated, uneducated, whether you're black, white, Asian, purple, green, whatever, short, tall, lots of hair, no hair. It does not matter. Every aspect of our lives is to be lived out as an act of worship before God. Because He is worthy. He is worthy of all that we can give Him and so much more. Sunday mornings before we start with worship service, you may notice our team down here praying We're coming together as a a worship team. We're praying not that we're going to sing good or not that we're going to play good or not that service is going to go well. There's going to be a lot of people here. We are praying and saying, God, let your name be lifted up. We want to worship you this morning. We want the people who come this morning, whoever is here, to worship and lift up your name because, God, you are awesome. God, you are worthy of our worship and so much more. What we give to God pales in comparison to what He deserves, doesn't it? What we give to God on a daily basis pales in comparison to what He truly deserves. We're called to worship Him and to make disciples who are going to also worship Him. That's the point. And you know, God expects a return that we talked about the parable of sower a couple weeks ago. You know, God, the sower cast out the seed on the, the good soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the seed that fell in that good soil, what did it return? Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold return. That's a massive return. Look at what God expects of us. The parable today, he gave... Five talents, two talents, one talent. He gave ten minus to each one. And the one came back and just doubled it. God says, good servant. The one came back and said, here's a 50% return. Good servant. See, the amount does not matter. Whether God gets 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, or you can double his return in you, it's what are you doing with what God gave you? That is the question this morning. Ask yourself this question, what have I done with what God has invested in me? Have I squandered it? Am I living up to his calling in my life? Have I gone out, have I taken opportunities, have I taken chances with what God has invested in me? I mean, God's invested a lot. He invested his whole self. He invested his son. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God invested his very life for you and me. Let's don't go out and squander what he has invested in us. James talks about this as well. James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1, verse 22 and following, he says, But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, not university, liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he's doing. What are we doing for the kingdom? What are we doing for the kingdom of God today? It's all fine and well to come on Sunday mornings. It's all fine and well to get involved in a small group. It's all fine and well to come to a marriage conference in a couple of weeks. What impact are you making in your communities? What impact are you making in your neighbor's life? What impact are you making in your grandkids' lives? What impact are you making in the lives of others? That's what we're going to take with us to the kingdom. That's what we're going to take with us to heaven. We can't take these things. We can't take our football games. We can't take our cars. We can't take our homes or our clothes. We can only take people, other people. What impact are you making in your spouse today? What impact are you making in your best friend today? What impact are you making? Are you going out and doing in their lives to help them understand the truths of God's word better, to understand more fully, understand who God is and what he wants for their lives? Are we doers of the word or are we merely hearers? In verse 22, James says, don't merely just be a hearer of the word and so deceive yourselves. Does it go in one ear and out the other? That's unfortunate for me many times. Yes, it has. In one ear and out the other. And that's sad. When it goes in one ear, are you ingesting it? Are you putting it into your life? Are you thinking about it? Are you meditating on the word of God? Are you letting it fill you? Or are you allowing yourself to be deceived by saying, I'm doing just enough? I'm doing the bare minimum. Or are you letting it fill you? Are you a spiritual sponge soaking it all up? Are you the man looking in the mirror and you're so self-focused that you don't pay attention to the needs of others around you? Are you so self-focused and thinking, my needs, my needs, my needs, my things, my things, my things, my, 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 me, me, I, I, I. And you forget to look around and see how God wants to use you as his hands and feet to reach into the community around you, to reach into the lives of others around you. Or are we so busy looking at my problems and my issues and my frustrations and we forget to look around and get involved 
in others' lives. Thirdly, by looking into the law of liberty, the law of freedom, we will receive a blessing. Getting into this law, I mean, God gave us this word, He gave us a law not to bind us up, not to keep us imprisoned, not to keep us in jail and say, here's all the stuff you can have. Psych, you can't do it. Look at all that's out there in the world. No way, you can't enjoy it. God gives us the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and when we study it and understand exactly what He's saying to us, and what he, how he wants us to live, there is freedom there because he's protecting us. Why do we set boundaries for our kids? I guess, you know, I got six kids. Why do we set boundaries for them when they're little? Why do we say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this? Because we wanted to ruin their joy, to ruin their lives. The teenagers in here go, yes, you do want to ruin our lives. They're nodding. We set boundaries for our kids because we want to protect them. We are the adults. We know what's coming. We know if they are not protected now that they're going to fall into traps later in life. This word that God gives to us, it is setting boundaries for us to protect us from what's out there. Not to ruin our joy, not to say, nanner, 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 I've got all this stuff out there, but you can't get involved. God gives us his word because it brings freedom. It brings joy. It's the law of freedom, the law of liberty. Pursue it with intentionality. God's plan for you and your family. Be intentional. You may fall into something accidentally, but so much better if you are intentional in pursuing God's plan for your life. If you're intentional in pursuing that relationship with Him if you're intentional in reaching your neighbors and those around you. Be intentional in pursuing your spouse, your best friend, your neighbors. And it takes a step of faith, doesn't it? It's not easy. We preached, we've talked to you here before about Elisha and how Elisha had to leave behind his oxen, he burned his oxen, and he took a step of faith to follow Elijah. When it would have been easier to say, well, when I finish the harvest, Elijah, I'll follow you. But no, when Elijah called him, he said, okay. And he burned his ox right there, and he followed. He left it all behind. He said, God, I'm not, I don't want anything to encumber me from following you. I'm going to follow you in faith and take those steps. And as a result, he received blessing upon blessing upon blessing by stepping out in faith and trusting God for everything in his life. The same will work for us. When you step out in faith and you say, Preacher, I'm eight years old, what can I do to step out in faith? Or preacher, I'm 80 years old, what can I do? Or preacher, I'm busy 85 hours a week working. I can't step out in faith. What can I do? Look around you. The Bible says the fields are white unto harvest. There's a harvest out there waiting. If you get your eyes off yourself, if we get our eyes off ourselves and look to those around us and look to those areas around us that God has called us to reach and those people that God has called us to reach. To be a light 
and assault in their lives as well to get our eyes off ourselves. And that's probably one of the hardest things to do. So as we consider this parable this morning, the question to be asked is, what have we done with what God has given to us? Individually and as a church. This church is almost 60 years old. Next year, 60 years. What have we done with the investment that God has poured into us as a church, as the body of Christ? What have you done with the investment God has poured into you as a child of God? What have you done with the knowledge and understanding of who God is and sharing that with others, with being His hands and feet and loving on those who are unlovable, with being His servants all around you? and looking for opportunities intentionally to serve and be used by God. God didn't invest in you just to see that investment squandered. God invested in you to see a great return, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for this morning. I thank you for the investment you have made in us. How you sacrificed on the cross for us. How you pursued us with your whole being. You made us clean. You made us whole in you. Sin-free in you. redeemed by the blood of Jesus. This morning, God, as we consider where we've come over the past many years, how are we being faithful to the calling in our lives? How are we being faithful to the investment you have made in us? Lord, let us be like the faithful servants who went out and worked and did our best to serve you with our whole heart. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning that you invested in this this young man. That you invested in me. That you saw me as as a worthwhile investment that you called me out as your child. As we take a few moments just before we sing, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, and you just seek God's face for a few moments. Ask him to renew his investment in you, to make it even stronger.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing one final song.